All right, team, welcome to another installment of the Anonymous Guest episode of Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, and my guest today is trying to find a little bit more resemblance of confidence, direction within his marriage. He's been in a marriage for two decades, and he has struggled to not only provide some direction for himself, but for his family, for his relationship. And we talk a little bit about his, his background, his upbringing, you know, his, his childhood and some of the circumstances that contributed to his lack of self-esteem, self-worth. And where we end up navigating is interesting. And we end up navigating to his relationship with God, not religion specifically, but with, with God as an, as an entity. And this is an interesting one in many ways because over the years of working with people, I have found that many people that have grown up in very religious households have a very specific relationship with God. They have a very a very specific kind of dynamic, whether or not they continue to practice that that religion or be a part of that faith their relationship with God still remains. There's still this connection to something that they experienced growing up. And unconsciously in the mind, we can hold a tremendous amount of resentment, bitterness, animosity towards God for the circumstances and situations that we experienced growing up without even knowing. And so what you'll likely hear in this episode as you track through the entirety of it, is one man coming to terms with his frustration and anger towards his maker. And this isn't in any way to talk about my affiliation <laughs> or belief with God. That's sort of that's sort of completely separate. But I would encourage you to, as you listen to this episode, notice the through line of where this conversation is going, right? Of the unresolved blockages within this man's heart and mind and what he's really trying to sort through and sift through. Although he's very much focused in on the present moment, on his marriage, on what's happening in in that dynamic, there's this sort of bigger existential question that's behind all of this. And so when I guide him through a few exercises and experience toward the end in a conversation with God, there's a revelation or a revealing of the anger and the hurt and the animosity that's been held for decades because of his upbringing within this religion. And so I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Feel free to reach out to me, DM me at Mantox if you have any questions or thoughts on this episode. And certainly share this one with somebody that you know will enjoy this conversation or would benefit from hearing this man's story. So without any further delay, please welcome my anonymous guest. All right, my latest anonymous guest, how are you doing today? Fine, thanks. I was gonna, I was gonna say my latest victim, but that seems a little harsh. <laughs> I'm always, I'm always surprised when people sign up for these. And they're like, I listened to this, you know, your last episode and I'd love to be a guest. And I'm like, really? You listened to that? And then you thought I should sign up for that. <laughs> anyway, all joking aside, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. 
I'm looking forward to the conversation. I think uh, it'll be good for me to go through a process like this. Yeah, wonderful. So just by looking at your, just some of the things that you you put in, I think I have a little bit of an idea of where we're probably going today, but I would love to hear in your words, you know, what, why you signed up and, and what you're potentially looking to work on, resolve and gain some insight about. Sure. So I find that in all of my relationships in life, but particularly in my marriage, I have a very codependent style of dealing with people. And so it means that I'm spending all my time making sure that everyone else is happy. And if they're not, it creates a good deal of anxiety for me. Hmm. And I'm doing everything that I can to try and fix the situation. And uh, even when it's not something that somebody has asked me to do for them. And I've got into trouble for that in mm. the past as well. But most importantly, it's how I, I deal in my relationship with my my own wife. And when I find that she's not there, you know, like she's just busy. If she doesn't talk to me for two or three hours, I start feeling anxious, you know. And, and the same with situations where I actually have to ask her for something. I feel anxiety because I'm concerned about how she's going to react, whether or not I'm going to get a positive reaction or no, or this is a bad time. And those things are always running through my mind. And I'd like to find a way to, to deal with that constant concern about how it is that I'm impacting others by just, just wanting to, to relate to them and, and, and that for what I need in life. Good. So, so just reflect some of those pieces back to you. So you said you used the word codependency, which, you know, I think we could, we could probably talk about a little bit more, but you said that there's a tendency on your side to maybe neglect what you need and your needs and your wants and prioritize other people's needs and wants above your own. And you find a lot of value and worth in trying to solve other people's problems. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's and, right. and that sometimes gets you into trouble. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Any anything anything that I missed in there or anything that you want to add? Which by the way is probably a very relatable experience for a lot of men. So that's Yeah, right. I would I would say that I am the quintessential nice guy for Robert Clover's book. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. So and how long have you been with your wife? We've been married for forty two years, but we've been together forty seven years. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. first off, congrats to Long. That's a uh, it's a relationship, my friend. That's a commitment right there. So you've been Thank together you. for quite quite a long time. And yes. I think one of the things that stuck out to me, you know, just in reading some of your information was the amount of fear that inhabits some of these interactions and the decisions and the thoughts surrounding your marriage. So I just want to give you the floor to maybe speak to some of those things, both to give maybe my, myself and, and the listener context, but specifically for myself. Sure. So the thing that I really find troubling is how I deal with asking for what I want and, and the fear that I mentioned a moment ago of how I'm going to be received when I ask for what I want. I have this tendency not to be able to function very well when I'm in a, a conflict situation. Even if it didn't start out that way, it felt like, you know, when I get into it, my mind just shuts off. 
and I say all kinds of stupid things, and I yell. And if there are times when I can't even remember the next day what discussion was about. I'm just my mind just just goes blank on me, so I can't I can't think a straight line. And so, having gone through that experience multiple times, I'm really not keen on going into conversations that I may think will go sideways. So it makes for a lack of communication function. My wife often says to me, you shouldn't assume what I'm thinking. But it's easier that way than to actually come right out and, and, and say what I, I think she's thinking. And uh, so, yeah, the whole business of how in those circumstances I just find myself unable to, to function uh, effectively. The conversation goes badly. I often say things like always and never uh, in the heat of the conflict. And, you know, I end up apologizing the next day. Usually we don't stay mad at each other for very long, but I just feel like we keep on going over the same ground over and over again, whether it be sex or keeping the house certain level of tidiness or any number of things that come up in normal marriage relationships. And uh, Mm. yeah, it's, it's very frustrating. So you two have been together for 40 plus years, married for 42, together for 47. What are some of the challenges that you're experiencing in the marriage now that's, that's leading to this conversation? I think what I'm hearing is that some of the logistical pieces are hard to talk about. Some of your needs are hard to bring forward. I heard sex in there. So maybe just if you can lay out a, a couple of the pieces that you feel are not working so well within the marriage, right? Or that you are struggling, specifically that you're struggling to communicate to your wife. Well, uh, any number of, of small things, you know, it could even be whether or not we're going to get out of the house at a particular time because uh, they like to be punctual or whether or not she's going to look after something that she said she, said she would. And she doesn't like me checking in on her. And then, and then sex is, is, has been a big one throughout our relationship uh, in terms of how often, what kind of sex she, she doesn't really like to be approached for sex at all. She would rather decide for herself if and when she, she wants to participate. And so, so yeah, it, it means not much of that happens on, on a regular basis. And it's very hard for me to figure out how in a situation like that to approach her because it seems like I'm not asking the right way or what I want and isn't, isn't appropriate or it's a bad time. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm asking too soon in the day or any number of things, but, uh, but yeah, and mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, it's uh, a continuous conversation has been a continuous conversation. Yeah, so there's a bit of a pattern, a loop that the two of you are are replaying over and over again. And you and your wife have done therapy together? I Yes, we have. She's not a fan of therapy. But we have been for a couple of, of sessions together, and she's seen the same people on her own two or three times. She's not a big fan of psychology. She's a very straight to the point kind of person, you know, say what you mean and what you say and to, to try and, and she's, she's not, she's very uncomfortable, I think, with the whole process to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
feel threatened by it, I would, I would say. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, and I've been to lots of therapists in my life, so I'm trying to sort out my own issues. But, but yeah, we have been. And uh, for what it's worth, one time that we went to therapy was because I divulged to my wife that uh, I was watching porn. And she was serenely upset and said, this is as close to divorcing you as I've ever been. Mm-hmm. So that was a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was what was that like for you to to be in that situation, to divulge that, and then receive that from her? Well, I wasn't expecting the backlash that I got. In fact, you know, something that I was feeling uncomfortable about, well, not telling her about, and there just seemed to be a, an opportunity one day to toss into the conversation, you know, related to something else that we were having a conversation about, and it just like the hours just went dark. And uh, it was very, uh, very uh, upsetting for me. Uh, I have strong abandonment issues. And for her to say, you know, that she would divorce me, then I have no idea how I would cope with her leaving me, particularly under such circumstances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, strong, strong abandonment issues because why? Well, I related back to my upbringing. My mother uh, would say to me when she was at the end of a rope with raising us kids and not having a whole lot of money to look after us. She would threaten to give us away to the, the traveling salesman who used to come to the door to, to sell things. And uh, yeah, so I remember vividly one day just breaking out into tears and, and saying to my mother, you wouldn't really do that, would you? And I might have been five or six at the time, but there's never been this real sense that there was a the love was conditional. Uh, in the family, you were only as good as the last good thing that you did. And, uh, and yeah, it, it made us feel always on edge and judged. Come from a Catholic background, so lots of fear about breaking the Ten Commandments. I, I recalled circumstances with a couple of my siblings where um, one sibling was on the party line. He would have been about 17 or 18 at the time. And then one of my sisters was probably of a similar age and she left and I, I never really found out if my parents asked her to leave or not. But kind of proof there, you know, and in my mind that, you know, there was this potential for being left to fend for yourself. Yeah. So, so a good amount of threatening to leave, threatening to impede on your safety. If you don't tow the party line, if you don't. And by the party, I mean the family. Yeah. <laughs> not <laughs> political. Yeah. Right. So, so if you're not towing the family line, then there's going to be some pretty serious consequences that have to do with your safety, with your livelihood as a child, uh-huh. with your sense of belonging. Where did you fit within your siblings? Were you the, the youngest or somewhere in the middle? Eldest of four. Eldest of four? Okay. Yeah, right. Rather one year younger and then two sisters. Uh-huh. Younger than that. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. All right. And, and just in a few words, how would you describe your parents and their marriage? It was, for the most part, reasonably good. I mean, there were stormy moments when they were fighting. That was very upsetting for me to see them upset with one another. I would get really, really anxious in those situations. But generally, they, they worked well together as a team. You know, they made decisions together and... Uh, and, you know, we had this sense that there was a pretty good deal of affection between the two of them, actually. My dad was notorious for telling off-color jokes uh, at the dinner table. He was not upset my mother, but he would do that. Didn't stop him. 
parents would like to see your father's freedom of expression like that as a kid. And I, well, I enjoyed it. And when I think of, of family times like that, you know, we did be at the table at six o'clock. We would have our meal together and people didn't leave until people were finished. So there was an expectation that everyone was to be there. And, but generally the experience was good. You know, we would tell jokes and just generally talk about our days and so forth. And, and my dad was the head of the household in, in those circumstances. Like he sat at the head of the table and he kind of guided uh, the discussion and decided who was going to take breaks before we had our meal, that kind of stuff. Okay. And do you and your wife have kids? Yes, we have three. They're all in their thirties now. And whatever we may have experienced uh, ourselves as children, our own family dynamics, our kids are doing well, which is really nice to see. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy that they've all turned out as they have. Yeah. And, and where would you say that you are with regards to the marriage and the relationship right now? I feel like I, um, I want to have my needs met and I don't think that they can be met in this relationship. But at the same time, the whole idea of dismantling it is just beyond imagination for me to think of doing that. Also, I keep on trying to figure out other ways of connecting with my wife. There, there are things that she's just not interested in as far as the things that I like to involve myself in life. I've tried to do things that I know she will enjoy which goes back to this codependent thing. You know, if, if we're going to have a relationship, I feel like I have to find ways to, you know, connect with her with the things that she enjoys. And so, yeah, it's tough. Um, but I feel like uh, imagining striking out on my own again now, it's just very, I, I'm not sure I would survive, honestly. Hello, I mean, I have suicidal tendencies, so, you know, uh, I, I'm just not sure what would happen there. Do you have in the past or... Like you've had so tendencies in the past? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since I was 18, uh, you know, they just come and go, you know. Uh, I, I suffer from depression uh, and anxiety, and I, I have medication for that. But, um, yeah, so uh, it's not as bad as it used to be in terms of suicidal thoughts, but they're there. You know, I think what would happen if I just left the door in, in anger some night, you know, and just found the nearest bridge to drive off of. Mm. And why did those start initially? Did they just arise because of depression or were they brought on by something more specific? I'm, I'm not sure, but probably it somehow linked to uh, a belief that came to me when I was around 18 that, you know, I, I remember vividly waking up in bed one night with the question, what if there is no God? Mm. And, I, and, and it was probably the most defining moment in my life when I think about it because I was so, so upset at the time uh, of, of that prospect. And I sort of come to terms with it all over time that uh, there isn't a creator out there that I'm in this on my own or with whatever support I can get from people around. So, yeah, but I can't, but I can't think of a particular time in my adolescence when I would have considered taking my life for any particular reason. Why was that one instance so jarring for you? Why was that one question such a separating or fragmenting moment? Because then it, it felt like, well, what's the point of living? You know, if I'm not supposed to be satisfying some 
supreme being that's really uh, supposed to be looking out for you, though I always got as an angry old man who was looking down on me with disgust because I wasn't getting it right day in and day out. <laughs> but yeah, if that wasn't the case, then you know, I, I just didn't have a sense of why I was here. That was very troubling for me to try and wrap my mind around that. Yeah, and it, I mean, it sounds like you grew up in a fairly religious household, and so to have that kind of departure from the family belief system must have felt also in some ways like you were abandoning the system or that you were pushed outside of the system that you were a part of. Yeah, it, it left me feeling disconnected. And I, I remember going to see a well-respected priest in our in our congregation at one point shortly after to talk to him about it. But despite the fact that I had a lot of respect for him, he really didn't give me any answers, you know, to help me, you know, uh, recover my faith, you know. They said, how do you know, you know, that there's a God? And he said, well, we just have to have faith, you know. Uh, that, that was really it. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, good, good. For the, for the 17 or 18-year-old looking for some unequivocal evidence, what was that like? Uh, it's a point. I, I, I remember going, all that day. These are the things that just stand out in your mind, you know. I think my mother asked me how things went. You know, she didn't ask me why I was going uh, to see the priest or anything like that. But I said, oh, fine. And that was it. There was no more conversation about it. But we didn't talk about religion per se. And it wasn't a topic for discussion. We just went to church every Sunday. Right, right. I, I imagine if we kept exploring this within your work and your friend, friend circle, there'd be a good amount of you withholding information, your truth, what you need, what you want to express, the questions that you have in order to have some semblance of belonging. Is that, how does that, like, what do you experience when I say that? It reminds me of the fact that when I have been in the family home, I developed this mediating style, you know, representing the interests of my siblings in particular to my parents. Mm. And that ended up getting uh, extrapolated to friends, you know, people who tell kids on me are great listening, you know. Well, listening was good because I didn't have to talk. And so that's something that throughout my life, school, work as well. Uh, but I've always been willing to listen to other people and help them out and point them in the right direction. Mm. Like for me to sit down and have those conversations about myself or I have to keep my cards very close to my chest. Because I don't want people to think that I don't know what I'm doing, especially people who I think respect me. Uh, right, because otherwise, what would happen? If people, uh, if people got a whiff of, you know, you don't know what you're doing, right. what yeah, was well, the consequence of that? So then I would be an imposter, you know, and, and people would lose respect for me. And then I would, it's like, I define myself very much um, by the role to take on in life. And, and to slip up is, is difficult for me. I'm, I mean, it's not impossible. I can't accept from time to time uh, that I, I forget something, but it's still difficult mm-hmm. to make a mistake. Well, that's a, a, a very masculine thing to have done, right? I am what I do. And when what I do is in jeopardy or threatened, then who I am is threatened, right? Who I, who I become is someone that's unsafe because then I, then I might not belong. 
I might not feel safe in that relational dynamic anymore. I might not feel like I have any inherent worth within that space because I am, I am what I do. So that's, you know, that's, um, yeah, I, I won't, I won't go down the pathologizing path right, right now. <laughs> Although I was just about to launch into it. But I think the other thing that I heard in there is that you have played the role of being a channel or a bridge, right? The, yeah. That mediation conversation that you've kind of been the string holding certain things together, right? Or the, the glue holding certain things together. And that can both feel very rewarding and also feel as though what I hear you saying is I've had to sacrifice most of what I want in order to necessarily give other people what they desire or make sure that everyone else is okay. So what yeah. is the, what's the price that you've paid for that? Well, I think that I'm, I have a hard time getting my needs met. And then I'm reluctant to ask to get my needs met because if I do ask and it's not forthcoming for whatever reason, and especially if I feel judged for it, then it's easy for me to say, oh, they must be right because I can't be right. And uh, I can't, it's like I can't hold those two things, those two tensions together, you know, that I can have a valid perspective and someone else can have a valid perspective. Obviously, my wife is the, the best case in point, but in other situations as well, when my siblings have been angry with me for something that I've ever done that's upset them. And, uh, you know, and, and when I think about those kinds of situations, doing things I thought was in their best interest, you know, that I was trying to either look after them or look after the family dynamic and it didn't meet their needs. And, yeah. But that, that was me trying to, to, to hold the situation together to fix things. And, uh, and yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's explore some of this, right? We've, we've done a good amount of, of sort of collecting details and let's just explore some of the experience of this. You sound like you've done a, a good amount of exploring this verbally in therapy. And, you know, I can see that there's a weight in your eyes that has been, that you've been carrying, that you have sort of taken on as a result of this. And let's just, maybe just before we go into that, I, just, I do want to ask you, how have you navigated your, your own depression? Well, apart from medication and uh, and therapy, uh, I usually engage in things like uh, meditation four or five times a week for maybe half an hour. Yoga, uh, I try and stay in good shape. Yeah. So I do a fair amount of physical exercise, which I understand or so can be helpful in managing mm -hmm. depression. So, yeah. What's it been like for you to carry that within your marriage? as a husband, as a father? Uh, the depression. Mm -hmm. It's been, it's been difficult. I'm ashamed of it. And, um, and yeah, uh, my, my, my wife and my kids have seen me at my worst and uh, often after having a bit too much alcohol, unfortunately, <laughs> in terms of just yelling and screaming. And, yeah. So alcohol moves, removes the barriers. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. What, what are you feeling right now? What's just real right there? Uh, shame, shame. Uh, I the, the idea, uh, particularly for my children, that I would ever say or do anything that would disappoint them or you know, cause them to think lots of me 
it's hard for me to, to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So let's close the eyes for just a moment. Just connect what you're feeling right now, what you're experiencing in the body and just be aware of it. Make contact with whatever you're feeling. Don't move away from it. And I'm just going to give you a few questions. All you have to do is respond to them. So right now I feel sad um, and I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what I feel in my chest right now is uh, tension and kind of an emptiness at the same time. Mm-hmm. So stay present to both of those experiences connected to the tension and the emptiness. So where I feel the tension in my body is uh, in my throat and, and in my in my upper chest. Okay, and if that tension had a voice right now, it would say what? I've, I've had enough. I really want to be done with it. Mm-hmm. Done with what? Done with feeling anxious 24-7. Like, it's always there. And it's, and it's exhausting. And if my tension could speak directly to my anxiety, it would say... Can't we do this differently? <laughs> yeah. And if that tension wasn't being so nice, what it would say? <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, I'm not I'm not much at swearing, uh, but you know, say I'm fucking tired of it. You know, mm-hmm. I I just I'm just fucking tired. <laughs> yeah, speak directly to it. I'm tired of. I'm fucking tired of Hey Daddy, I'm fucking tired of you controlling my life. Every minute of every day, I just, I really want this to be done. And I, I want you to go away. Mm-hmm. Deep breath. Uh, Deep breath. Yeah. So when I say that, I feel. Um, kind of, uh, relieved, um, like, uh, yeah. And if the anxiety could respond back, it would say. Just let it reply back. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to protect you. You know, that is protect you the only way from abandonment, from everyone in the world hmm. realizing that you're a fake and that you're not worth spending any time with, and that you know you're just taking up resources on the planet, basically. So one more breath. And when you're ready, just make a statement back to the anxiety for what it just said. I feel like you and I need to work on this together. Mm-hmm. You're not going away. I'm not going away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just pause, pause there. Pause there. Say that. Say that. Just feel that in your body. Feel your feet on the floor. Mm-hmm. Feel your back against the chair. And feel the strength of your entire spine from the base of your tailbone all the way up to the base of your neck, connecting to your ribs, connecting to your shoulder blades and your arms. Feel the rigidity of that part of your body. And from that place, say that again, you're not going anywhere and I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. And I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Say that last part and, again. 
I am. I am not going anywhere. Can't we just work on this together? One breath. Now, how I've normally treated you and talked to you is with disgust and frustration. <laughs> and that must have been exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, I treated I treated you the same way that I that I treat myself. Cause that because that's all I deserve. And, and I feel like others won't accept me as I am. Because because I'm not allowed to make mistakes. Because 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 it it proves what I grew to believe about myself as a child that I'm not lovable, that I'm not worthwhile, hmm. and that the only way that I can be lovable and worthwhile. It to be perfect, never being a problem. Yeah. So saying all that feels. On the one hand, it it feels sad, and on, and on the other hand, it, there's a bit of relief there. I'm not sure what that's about. But. You're acknowledging your own truth in some ways, right? You're acknowledging that you you felt like a burden to people around you. Never. You know, you felt a burden, like what you've wanted is a burden, who you are is a burden, you know, that you've had to make up for who you are in people's lives. And you're coming to terms with that, that might not necessarily be true. And to act in a way that is outside of, I'm a burden, what would that sound like? If I'm not a burden, then I'm what? I'm okay as I am. Hmm. that I don't have to be worried about what people think of me. Uh -huh. So let's just do one little thing. So keep the eyes closed, stay there. And I just want you to imagine your childhood home and imagine that dining room table that you described early on. Dad's at the head of the table. Where did you sit? Next to my mother, so I would have been like one person away from mm -hmm. my father on the side of the table. Okay. So just see dad at the head of the table, mom on the one side, see yourself, younger you sitting next to her uh -huh. and see your siblings at the table. So the, the family's there and just take that in, connect with that for a minute. And when you're ready, make a statement. I wish that I had been able to contribute more to that table. I was afraid to speak up. My brother was a clown and he was always good at making people laugh. And I felt diminished by him there. And that was because he was my younger brother. That was embarrassing on top of it all. That hmm. he was getting more attention than me. So one more breath. And just make a statement to that young boy. How old do you see yourself to be? Sitting at the table next to mom. Okay. So see 10-year-old you there. He's quite young. He's probably still pretty pretty little as, as things go. Trying to sort out the world. Trying to figure out family dynamics and where he fits in. Who he is. What's your 
What's your first instinct when you see him sitting at the table? What do you want to do immediately? Uh, I want to hug him. I want to tell him that he's okay. Because he looks, he looks lost mm-hmm. and like, comfortable. So just, if you can, get a little closer, maybe sit down beside him. And when you're ready, tell him that directly. I see that you're struggling in this situation and it matters to me and I care about you and I and I want you to know that, that I'm here for you sorry that you're struggling so much yeah sorry that no one saw that you that that you were struggling that you didn't feel that you had the respect that you needed from other members of the family. Right. So he did feel alone. You know, he did feel yeah. lost. He And no one else knew. You know? So if the father in me, the man that has raised three children, admittedly with some success, could speak to the rest of the people at that table, what would he say? When I say the father now, mm-hmm. it's important to be able to talk to one another openly about how we're all, you're all feeling. That don't just keep it to yourself. Don't hide the way you're feeling. It's important for you to be able to actually say what's on your mind mm-hmm. without fear. Yeah, and what this boy has had to hide is shame uh, and, and fear and guilt mm-hmm. for all the things that I felt like I had done in my life that were wrong, mm-hmm. and that I couldn't that I couldn't measure up to what I thought my parents thought I should be. Mm-hmm. Did you ever? Rarely, rarely, when I. When I graduated from university. You've carried that legacy on in some way. Yeah. yeah. Right. So just to hear that back, right? I never felt like I lived up to my parents' expectations. And so I've carried on their legacy by ensuring that I never live up to my own. Right. Yeah. Just make a statement about what you experienced hearing that. I'm making my life impossible by trying to measure up to perfection what i felt hearing that was what what did you feel in the body uh either despair and and asking what what can be done what can be done about Mm -hmm. how how can i get over this fear yeah and if my anger had a voice in that moment what it would say is to my parents i would have said you guys didn't get it you just didn't really understand what your kids were going through. You were too busy worrying about your own stuff, about mm-hmm. the way you were dealing with your own issues. Mm-hmm. And I know they had them, but they they left their kids to work out their own issues um, because they didn't have the ability. You didn't. You didn't have the ability. Good. To look after your kid, you know, and we all have felt a good deal 
a good deal of neglect because of that. Right. So good. Take another deep breath. Stay with that anger. Just let yourself feel that in the body, however it physically wants to manifest, whether you make fists or you hold your arms together, whatever that, whatever that feels like for you. And just say that again directly to them. You were... You were neglectful. You did not look after your, your kids the way they needed you to look after them. Yeah, you did not look after me. You did not did look, not look after, after me. me. Uh-huh. You did not look after the, me the way I needed to. And I was just constantly worried that I wasn't measuring up, that I wasn't doing it right, and that I was going to make another mistake sooner than later that I was going to be reprimanded for, that I would feel badly for. And then I would turn around and beat myself up for after. So what I needed from you was? I needed love and I needed unconditional love. I needed you to tell me that you love me. I needed you to hunt me. I needed you to kiss me. And, and, I, and not having and, that was? Very, very sad, very sad. Mm -hmm. So if my, if my sadness could speak to them, what I would say to them is? I really wish that you had been here for me. I really wish that you had understood what I was going through. And I felt alone in our house because? Because I couldn't be authentic. I couldn't, I couldn't display my emotions. I couldn't be sad. Sometimes I couldn't even be happy if I was making too much noise. Couldn't be angry. Um, or emotions were, were not an accepted thing. And that just left me feeling completely separated from myself. Mm -hmm. I had one more breath like that. So right now I feel like I want to. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not allowing myself because 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 it it's shameful to cry mm -hmm. yeah how come boy and boy don't cry uh-huh yeah so what i do with my sadness is i bury it mm -hmm. yeah where in the void it yeah yeah i was i was thinking of a place in my in my body and mm -hmm. in my lower abdomen uh, I can. So connect with that. Be with that part for a moment. Just be aware of that part in the lower abdomen. You hold all that grief, the sadness of not having what you needed as a boy, not feeling understood, not feeling like you belonged, not getting the love and affection and attention that you needed. And when you're ready, make another statement. I need to change. I don't know how, but I need to change. Otherwise, otherwise, I'll be the same person I am in 10 years that I am today. Mm -hmm. The thought of that is? Scary, because I don't know what, what does change look like. Yeah, and I feel like I've been the same person for? Forever. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. How old does this part of you feel? 68. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So this is this is a very familiar a very old part of you, mm -hmm. right? It's been with you for a tremendously long time. I would imagine that this part of you got you through a lot. 
that there's the deepest sort of friendship that you've actually developed is with this darkness, is with this pain, is with this sadness. It's become a friend in some, in some way. So what, what would it say to you right now, if it could speak this part in your abdomen, what would it say? I've been doing my best to protect you your entire life. <laughs> yeah, and you've never once... Uh, you've never once thought to help me change the way I feel. Mm. Have, have you ever thanked it for protecting you? <laughs> yeah, yes. Recently, I've I've come to understand that that's a worthwhile thing to do. Uh-huh. But I haven't spent very much time practicing it. <laughs> Put yeah. it that way. Yeah, because what I really want to do with this part of me is dump it. Aha! Uh-huh. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I want to get. I want to get rid of it. I want to kill it off. I want to avoid right. it. I want it to. You know, I want it to go away. Right. So it needs to be welcomed in in some degree, in some fashion. Not that we, not that you need the depression to be welcomed in more or that you need to let it drive or that you need to let it be the driving force. It already is. It's that you need to allow this part of you, you need to thank this part of you for being there. This is the, the protector part of you. It's also the predatory part of you that's keeping you stuck, right? This is the part of you that has taken up a lot of room. So the warrior in you, that warrior energy, that anger that comes out when you've drank too much, it comes out in this sort of dark, shadowy way, right? In this unhealthy way that you feel shame about afterwards. The warrior part of you has just been conscripted by this part. Uh-huh. So a lot of your energy for change, for momentum is wrapped up in this part because there's a part of you that's needing to thank it. So just take a, one more breath and just speak directly to this part. Okay. Hi. You are trying to help me mm-hmm. manage my way through life. Mm-hmm. Thank you for protecting I, me from. Thank you for protecting me from all the embarrassment that I might have faced if I had said and, and done everything that came into my mind by <laughs> like mm-hmm. So thank you for keep me keeping me out of, of trouble. Mm-hmm. One more breath. Yeah. And thank you for thank you for having my best interest at heart. Yeah. Yeah. For helping me belong when I felt so alone. Yeah, yeah, helping me belong. Yeah. So many situations where I really didn't feel like I, I fit in the way I would like to. Yeah. Good. So one more breath. So I don't need your protection as much anymore because because I don't need to be so worried about not being accepted by others that <laughs> I can I can expect hope that other people will, will accept me as I am, mm-hmm. as my kids certainly have. Right. You know, they've seen the worst of me. Yeah. What's that like to have 
your own offspring accepts you fully, unconditionally, in the way that you've wanted? It, it feels undeserving. Uh-huh. It's hard to get that in, isn't it? I mean, so if they were here sitting in front of me right now, I'd say to them, I love you. Thank you for, thank you for accepting me and I am. One more time. Say it one more time. Thank you for accepting me as I am. So stay just right there. So right now I feel. I feel kind of happy, kind of fearful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fearful of what? Fearful of changing the way I, I deal with my day-to-day challenges. Mm-hmm. Fearful of speaking up. Mm-hmm. Fearful Look. of trying to stand my ground and fearful of losing it, uh-huh. of embarrassing myself. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, yeah. You're going to have to risk looking like an ass. Yeah. Right? You're going to have to risk getting it wrong. That's, that is the price of entrance into authenticity sometimes. Yeah. The price of entrance into the man and the husband that you know you're capable of is to risk getting it wrong. And here's the other thing. It's going to require you to connect more deeply with your own sense of fierceness. You're, you, have a, you have a beautiful heart. You're, you really are a loving, compassionate, kind man. I mean, it's just very much baked into who you are. I can feel that. I can see that. I think anyone listening to this conversation, what they will have received is this transmission of beauty and love and kindness and a kind of like generosity and genuineness that is just very pervasive. And you don't have to sacrifice those things. You don't have to get rid of those things. Those things don't have to go away when anger is present. Those things don't have to go away. They're actually required for you to have a sense of clean anger. But you've abandoned your anger. And I think you have a, a good amount of anger towards God, if I'm being really honest. But I think there's, I think there's a real unleashing that needs to happen towards God. You're mad at God for, for, for something. You are fucking pissed. I can feel that. Yeah, so just make a statement about that. I'm mad at God because... I'm mad at God because... He was never there for me when I needed him. And all I ever felt from him was judgment, disappointment and judgment. And yeah, it just just felt completely worthless. Mm -hmm. So just say that directly to God. I'm mad at you because you... God, I'm mad at you because you've never been there for me when I needed you. Whenever I asked for stuff, I didn't get it. And I have always felt that you just were constantly disappointed in me and never happy. And I never felt your love. Mm-hmm. Never, ever felt your love. So if I was, if I really was expressing myself, if I wasn't being so nice, I'd say to you, God. <laughs> I'm fucking pissed off. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you. Yeah, say, fuck without, you. say without the smile. All fuck right. you for... Fuck you for not being, having been there for me. Yeah. And the way you treat, the way you treated me as a boy was deplorable, deplorable. Yeah. There's no, there's no excuse for a a child to have gone through what you put me through. If you were here right now, I'd tell you, 
well, fuck yourself that you have not measured up to the kind of the person that you've portrayed yourself as in no way, shape, or form, have you? Yeah, I never understood why you. I never understood why you, why you thought that I needed to be perfect all the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. That I can make mistakes. I should be able to make mistakes. And you shouldn't stand there in judgment of me every time I mess up. Good. Yeah, right now my anger is. My anger is. My anger is somewhat satiated. And where I feel that anger in my body is. In my solar plexus. So connect to that part. And on your next exhale, just let a sound out that represents that anger. Ah. Yeah, a little bit more, just a little bit louder. Good. And one more time. Yeah, and give it a give it a more of a sound, whether it's a, a roar or a guttural sound or some form of elongated sound. I don't know. Yeah, one more, a little bit louder. Yeah. Yeah. So just say, just talk to him again. Fuck you for you for never having been for God. Fuck you for not having been the kind of God you said you were. You're a fake. You really are a fake. Yeah, you're a phony. I feel like you're a phony. You you have not lived up to any expectations that I've ever had of you ever. Not having you around has been been it's been empty, mm-hmm. lonely. Mm-hmm. It's been lonely. Yeah, and feeling abandoned by you has been left me feeling constantly, constantly alone, constantly alone. Good. So pause. Stay there, and just let God reply back. However. However you feel like that would go, let God reply back. Anna, I'm sorry that you feel that way. It wasn't my intent for you to live every day of your life feeling so shitty about yourself. What you were taught in school wasn't the way I intended it to be taught. Uh-huh. That, that in fact, I do love you and that you are worthwhile. I've been here I've, before been here for you all along. So I'm, sorry. Again. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I've been here for you all along. I've been here for you all along. Mm-hmm. So hearing that feels it feels warm. It feels loving. It feels regretful, you know, like regretful and sensible. God is sorry that that I didn't understand mm. that he's always there for me. Mm-hmm. Good. So one more breath all the way out. And just, if you can keep the eyes closed and we're going to wrap up here. Just would like you to share your experience in our conversation today and what you're taking with you. The, the experience has been challenging, but, uh, encouraging. And at the same time, encouraging that, I can, I can change the way I look at my life and how, how I can, I can relate to people moving forward. But I have to find the courage to do that. I have to, I have to find it and I have to find it regularly. Hmm. I have to practice. Yeah. Cause it's there, right? It's there. You don't have to find it. It's there. You have that courage, but it is, it is in the, 
it is in the manifestation of the practice in embodying that courage, embodying that clean anger, embodying that bravery to speak your truth, your wants, your desires, and to face some of those fears and the old narrative of I don't belong and I have to conform and what if people leave me and all those things. So come on back in whenever you're ready. So we stirred a little bit of the pot today. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I say to most people is you might feel a little emotional hangover today or tomorrow. So be kind to yourself. Be aware of that, right? Know that you're, you might feel a little extra heavy. Yeah. How are your, how are your eyes feeling right now? Well, they're, they're stinging, but that's just, uh, that happens from time to time. It's no. Yeah. So my recommendation for you is for the next few weeks, I just want you to write to God every day, at least a couple paragraphs every day. And whatever you need to say, it sounds like there's a lot that has been left unsaid, whether it's anger, whether it's regret, whether it's remorse, whether it's joy, whatever comes forward, whatever you feel like you need to sort of get off your, your chest, as they say, see what that's like, see how that shifts your relationship to your own experience, your own anger, your own resentment, but also see how it shifts your relationship to God in whatever whatever way, version, definition you might hold right now. Because it sounds like the first abandonment that you really felt was God. A lot of the questions that I think manifested in that boy, in that seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old boy, were directed towards God. How, How can you do this? You know, you say that you're this loving, kind being, but I feel abandoned. I feel alone. I'm struggling. No one knows it. How come no one knows it? If God is benevolent, if God is kind, surely he would inform someone. But there's a different lesson in there for you. So part of your repair, I want you to just take the focus off of what's happening with your wife. I want you to focus in on the relationship with God just for the next couple of weeks and just write, 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 write and see what comes, okay? And follow up with me. Send me some of the writing. Let me know how the conversations are going. And, and we'll, we'll reconnect, okay? Okay. All right. Any final thoughts or questions? No, but thank you very much for, uh, for the opportunity to look at something that I've never thought about before in quite this way. So, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably not the conversation that you thought you were going to have today. <laughs> you know, like, I want to talk about codependency. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's go talk about that. <laughs> oh, no. All right, friend. Well, I, I appreciate you diving in with me and please do stay connected. Let me know how things are going via email and how the conversations are going. And just notice if the bravery and the courage that shows up in your writing to God can manifest in your life, can manifest in your conversations with your wife, with your friends, with your family. And notice if there's a little bit more of an opening for bravery and courage and directness and assertiveness. Okay? Right. Okay. So good. Okay. So good. All right. All right, my friend. Thank you. you know, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.